of every four products you launch in 2020, only one of them will still be on the shelf in 2021. Those are just, those are the real numbers that we're dealing with. Why are Nike's Chunky Dunky sneakers selling for $6,000 on eBay? How did Mickey Mouse find his way onto a face mask? Exactly how did all that Stranger Things gear land in your shopping cart? We explore what makes you click buy on the products that stand out above the rest, thanks to a little thing called brand licensing. Welcome to the Licensing Mixtape, a podcast by License Global. Welcome to the Licensing Mixtape. I'm Ben Roberts, and today I'm joined by my co-host and fellow content editor, James Donner. Hey Ben, how's it going? I'm very well, thank you James. How are you? Doing nice, doing well. Still locked in? Yep, at home, bunkered down. Today we're talking about the digital media space and digital brands, and how readership, content, and data insights are giving them a pretty advantageous position given the current climate. Now, James, I'm pretty excited about today. We're talking with Senior Vice President of Global Brand Licensing, Eric Karp of BuzzFeed. Now, what are you looking to take away from today? I think the biggest thing that interests me about this interview was just talking with BuzzFeed about how they connected the dots between being this massive digital brand and then bringing it to licensing. Um, I don't think of any other brand like it that's in the licensing space and what they've been able to do with Tasty and Nifty and all their different brands has been pretty remarkable in a very short amount of time. BuzzFeed is this website that has an incredible following and they've been building it up and building it up. And it is essentially access to an an amazing range of human beings just through content. Um, And I think BuzzFeed are pretty rare in the licensing space, as in they are a digital media brand that have used that following, communicated with that following to create pretty powerful consumer products. I know that there are other brands in the digital media space, like Rolling Stone just came into uh, licensing in the UK very recently. You have Billboard have been doing it for a little while. Major publication titles like New York Times do it as well. But no one does it to the scale of BuzzFeed, which is which is what I find most interesting. Absolutely. I think a lot of different digital media brands are now taking cues from BuzzFeed and they're realizing they have tons of data points and tons of readership that, that would be interested in products if they did come to market. So you're looking at, you know, like Vox Media, even something like SB Nation maybe, and, and that sort of sub-brand. There, there's a lot of different media brands in place that are just now realizing how much potential they have in space. I'm not entirely sure if BuzzFeed were the first to be doing this, but they're definitely one of the brands that are doing it better. But now that everything's digital with the pandemic measures and lockdown, I'm keen to figure out how those data insights are helping them grow as a company in a time which might be a little bit scarier for others. Yeah, the big point is that data point. I think they've been very smart in how they've rolled out consumer products and who they've partnered with. And um, I'm really excited to kind of learn about how they're using data to find these partners and build these relationships and, and bring products to market that they know their their subscriber base, their readership wants. This is a platform with billions of views monthly. They have the full support of their readers. And as digital media is so ingrained in our culture and our individual day-to-days, we're so open to communicating with brands, even if it is for a commercial basis, even if it is to provide information, we are more than happy to help these brands get a little bit smarter and understand us a bit better so our convenience and our needs can be met. I do think digital media too is pretty unique when you compare it to sort of the other licensors and different brands out there. It's kind of a renewable resource for them. Like they can just create new content and then 
um, create that into a product. Like there, there's constantly a new flow of things that they can promote and do, and, and it's also self-fulfilling because they can market their own products that they launch. So I think that definitely gives them an advantage. Whether that's leaning more into DIY during a housing uh, slump, or whether or not that's learning to cook in lockdown, BuzzFeed is perfectly positioned and has positioned itself as an authority in these verticals. Um, you know, we resonate with content, we resonate with digital media brands because they're in our lives. I would also say that um, with, with a brand like Tasty, just like when you're scrolling through your Facebook feed and you come across kind of a, an instructional video about how to make something, it makes it very approachable. And when I go into like a Walmart store and I see a Tasty pot or pan, like I make that connection where I might not be a master chef, but you know, Tasty taught me how to do something, so maybe they should buy their stuff. It's yours and Tasty's secret that you can't cook. <laughs> yes, and everyone listening to this now, I guess. <laughs> well, instead of simply talking about the digital licensing space, we should probably ask an expert. Joining us today is Eric Karp, Senior Vice President of Global Brand Licensing for BuzzFeed. Eric, welcome to the Licensing Mixtape. Thanks for having me. It's a real pleasure. Can you share maybe like one of the first major partnerships BuzzFeed did in licensing? Sure. So the very first partnership we did was with Penguin Random House. It was uh, it's a cookbook series for Tasty. To date, we've sold over a million copies uh, across five different books. We just re-upped with them for for another three books. We we released a, a, a cookbook called Tasty Pride, which speaks to the LGBTQ experience uh, in the in the culinary world uh, over the summer. And we have another tasty cookbook called Adulting uh, later this fall. And we've expanded that that partnership to include another of our lifestyle verticals called Goodful. What's interesting about that partnership is that we actually had cookbooks prior to the Penguin Random House partnership. A year before uh, before we started the brand licensing group, we met with a number of publishers and, and they came to us and they said, Tasty's a fantastic culinary brand. We'd, we'd love to work with you on a cookbook series. And every single one of them came back with the same proposal. Here's a pile of money. And in 12 months, we're going to have a fantastic cookbook for you. We came back to the office and um, and collectively said, well, why can't we just make our own cookbook? This was in uh, this was in September of of 2016, September of 2016. So we said, why don't we make our own cookbooks and sell them directly to to consumers? So in this in the space of eight weeks, we put together the entire uh, interface for folks buying customizable, fully customizable, tasty cookbooks. And within the next six weeks, from Thanksgiving of 2016 to the end of, of 2016, so in five weeks, we sold about 125,000 copies, one by one by one by one. Um, and it proved that there was a that there was a huge appetite for for tasty product. But it also proved that if marketed correctly, and this is some of the the, the tools that we use to this day, if marketed correctly and get these goods, get these offerings in front of our audience, we can see success. A year later, having launched that that cookbook and sold about a quarter of a million copies over the course of a year of the fully customizable cookbook, we engaged Penguin Random House again, among other publishers, and they were interested in working with us because we'd done something that that folks don't do in the publishing space. We brought a book to market in less than two months and had seen great success with it. So they came to us and they said, we'd, we'd, like to, we'd still like to work with you on, on uh, a range of cookbooks. And this was the, this was the range that, that I spoke of. This is the first project that we embarked on with Tasty. And we challenged them, and this was in September of 2017, we challenged them to have a complete cookbook finished and launched by December. Uh, the same math plus an extra month to work things out, the same math in getting a product uh, to market. But this time it would be 
a product that would be sold on Amazon and Walmart and Target and all the and Barnes and Noble and all the traditional places where where cookbooks are sold. And they were up to the task and they did it and they brought it, they brought it to market. And by the end of that year, we had uh, the first of our tasty cookbooks launched and it was a New York Times bestseller. So all credit to um, to the folks at Penguin Random House publishing a traditionally uh, sleepy industry saw that 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 we'd done something um, that was uh, that was that was worth copying and worth learning from. It was it was the first of of, of many books in a successful series. You've had huge success with Tasty, but how has your approach changed from publishing to potentially different categories? So publishing and then kitchenware. Kitchenware was the second launch, the second major product category launch. In those two spaces, we did insight testing and we and and we looked for signals, as I as I've said, um, to make sure that our that our audience was interested in those products. But it was it was a question that we asked our data scientists where we knew the answer going in. The next category that 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 we've begun to launch in, and, and we've we've launched in a, a very serious way over the past, let's call it 18 months, um, food and beverage. We know that our that that the margin for error is, is slimmer, and that we don't necessarily, as a culinary brand, have license to play in every single category of foods that exists, right? Everything from um, from confection to dry grocery to to frozen foods, whether that's frozen savory or frozen desserts. And everything in between, right? The grocery is is uh, is a huge environment, and no matter how strong your your brand is, whether it's a culinary brand or an entertainment brand, you don't necessarily have approval to play in all those spaces. And so we've done much more research in every subcategory before bringing a product to market than we did uh, in publishing in kitchenware, because again, we wanted to mitigate as much as we possibly can the risk in all those in all those different aisles. What we know to be true about the fast-moving consumer goods area is that uh, in CPG, of every four products you launch in 2020, only one of them will still be on the shelf in 2021. Those are just those are the real numbers that, that we're dealing with. And I, um, so whether we're bringing a a dry grocery product to market, a meal kit, or ice cream, we want to make sure as much as we possibly can that exact product is is desired by our audience. Kind of looking to the future, can you talk a little bit more about um, what's on the horizon for BuzzFeed and Tasty and your brands as far as licensing is concerned? So as I said, we um, we saw the success in publishing in kitchenware and uh, and food and beverage, and that's that's been our rollout strategy for Tasty around the world. So we've um, we've now sold the Tasty cookbooks in nine different languages. We've begun to launch Tasty kitchenware programs around the world where we've launched with Big W in Australia, with Walmart in Canada and Mexico and Chile uh, and, and China, uh, Tesco in Malaysia. We have, a, we have a launch in the UK coming and a launch in, in Germany coming with, with two of the biggest hypermarkets. So our, so our strategy for Tasty is to, is to replicate what we've done in the US, which is to say, um, having seen the success worldwide with publishing, move into kitchenware with a key retail partner. And then once we've seen the success there, and and of course, it won't be it won't be a a straight line to success. We'll we'll see our ups and downs, and we'll have to make course corrections along the way. Then expand into into food and beverage and in all those countries where we where we do see the success in those spaces. Meanwhile, um, we launched a brand called Goodful with Macy's in the in the fall of 2018. We're in the process of migrating that entire business over to another major retailer right now. Um, Macy's was a spectacular place to launch a brand. They're a, they're, they're a really stellar partner um, to, to showcase a brand and to launch it. Um, but in order to scale, we need to be with another big bigger retailer. 
Um, there are very few bigger retailers uh, than, uh, or there are very few giant retailers out there. So you can probably narrow down where we're launching Goodful. Um, haven't, haven't announced that yet. Um, but the plan is um, in the next uh, six weeks, we'll be launching that program in earnest. Goodful, again, is our mindfulness and wellness brand. So we'll be launching that uh, in earnest over the next six weeks. And then we have two other lifestyle brands. One is called Nifty, which is our DIY and home improvement brand, and Bring Me, which is our travel and, and uh, experience brand. Um, they sort of represent the, the, um, the BuzzFeed home experience and the BuzzFeed away experience. We've begun to approach major retailers for, uh, for exclusive offerings for those two. I think that's why I'm so in awe of digital media brands and BuzzFeed in particular. It's because you have these reader segments and you have these content themes and you have these channels and you have these communities and you can build authentic consumer products around them. And you can create solutions for your readers with, with some agility. On top of Tasty, Goodful, Nifty, are there any other avenues that you're looking to get into? So, uh, so we have a huge gaming audience. That's important to us. And we have a we have a brand um, that we've built around that audience. Um, we have a very uh, a powerful voice in um, personal care and beauty, um, and it's it's one that speaks to inclusivity and um, and that's important to us. Um, uh, and we also have a have a huge uh, pet owner base, and much of our audience is becoming um, not just parents to animals for the first time. Um, but also to to little people. Um, so we have a we have a parenting vertical and we have a pet vertical um, that we intend to bring to market as well. But um, we can only do so much uh, at once. So um, so for us right now, it's uh, tasty continued global expansion, good full mindfulness and wellness, primarily in North America, um, home improvement, DIY and and travel, bring me in nifty um, coming soon, and then. Um, and then when the time is right, I think we'll have uh, we'll have verticals uh, on shelf um, that speak to those other categories that I mentioned. It's really interesting with all the brands you've mentioned, uh, other than maybe Nifty, they're all very like home-based and there's some viable for people even as they're kind of stuck at home during COVID. Um, was that just like uh, something you saw like people being more home-based even before everything happened or was that just serendipitous that that kind of happened that way? Look, I, I, I think it's serendipity more than anything, but it's fair to, to compare us not to all those folks who work in the digital space. I think it's fair to compare us to, um, to those traditional publishers like Condé Nast um, and, and Hearst and Meredith um, who've been creating fantastic content, um, but, but distributing that content through, through magazines, through periodicals. Um, we're just publishing on a on a different platform for the web and primarily the the social web, um, and so um, so look, we're the voice of a generation. Buzzfeed is the voice of a generation, and and um, and we speak to all those things that that are that the Buzzfeed audience is interested in, and they have um, a very particular relationship with with food and with their home and with and with travel and with um, and with parenting and with uh, and with pet ownership, just like everybody else. We just speak to them with a with a slightly different language on a completely different platform. Obviously, as content creators, content providers, um, you have a pretty good grasp on global trends. So is there anything in particular you're seeing there that you're looking to build on? Or how would you explain taking an idea or a trend, 
with viable business opportunities to market? Oh, that's a that's a question uh, above my pay grade. Um, look, I <laughs> be honest with you, I focus at the job at hand, and and right now we have uh, we have four major brands that we're bringing to market, um, and and as the as the audiences reach a certain size internally, um, there are there are champions, and um, and they come to us and they say, I think we're ready for um, for a consumer goods program, and then we go to our data scientists and um, and validate that that belief. Um, and then, and then do really the hard work of of creating a visual identity for those brands, um, and and identifying the the core categories that we have to win in, and and the retail relationships that that we need to build. Um, really, the basic blocking and tackling of of, of brand licensing. So, um, so it's this isn't to say that um, that that um, we're not proactive in the brand licensing group, but um, but but truth be told, um, we're not the we're not the readers of the tea leaves. Those those brilliant folks come to us. You mentioned the basics of brand licensing and the fundamentals and getting the core foundations of a brand licensing program, right? How would you summarize brand licensing today and especially uh, brand licensing for digital media brands in particular? Uh, basic brand licensing has evolved over time as retails evolved over time. Um, but, but the, the, the basics haven't, uh, the basics haven't changed. Meaning if you have a huge audience and you have a, a beloved brand um, and you make smart decisions in the, in the products space, um, you can win in those, in those places. And I think that that's, um, it's, a, it's an analog portion of a very digital business. And my, my strong suspicion is that these other, these other big important digital companies um, haven't recognized that, that they, that they can embrace analog um, analog businesses as well to, to drive their overall digital strategy. Well, that's all we've got time for today. Thank you for tuning in and thank you so much uh, to you, Eric. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on board. Thank you. Thanks for having me. This was a pleasure. We have officially launched on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, SoundCloud, and more to come. But we want to hear from you. If you have any questions, topics, solutions to problems we didn't even know we had, get in touch at news at licenseglobal.com and let us know what you think. In our next episode, we are going to be talking to the design team at Mattel and looking at the history of Barbie in order to figure out what makes a great toy. On behalf of myself and James Donnett, thank you so much for tuning in and we'll catch you next time.